Well, good morning, First Baptist Church, Athens, Alabama. This is Pastor Joel, and uh, as you can tell, I'm not here today. I'm actually in Louisville, Kentucky. Many of you remember my buddy, Matt Morris. Uh, Matt is now the pastor of a church plant called Cornerstone Community Church, and so I'm preaching for him live this morning in Louisville. But Wason and I got to thinking about and talking about if we're going to plant churches or be a part of church revitalization in the future for other churches, possibly a video venue might be our best bet. So we're sort of testing the waters on you today, and we hope that you'll enjoy this time together. Um, hopefully, uh, as we progress as a church family and we're able to do this a little bit more to help other churches, uh, it'll be a blessing to them, but also be a blessing to us. So uh, just on behalf of the staff, I want to tell you that we are so thankful to be a part of the church that doesn't mind trying new things. And the gospel never changes, but the methods have to change. So you're actually seeing one of those this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with me this morning to the book of John chapter 19. And we're going to be there in just a few minutes. But last week we talked about why Jesus suffered. Today we're going to talk about why Jesus died. And why should it matter to us? Here we are 2,000 years later. Does the death of Jesus Christ really matter? Well, the reason the death of Jesus Christ is the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news, is that God was the author of the crucifixion. Yes, you heard it right. Jesus dying on the cross is the highest and deepest point of his love for sinners just like me and sinners just like you. And the crucifixion of Jesus is the central event in human history. Jesus died so men and women and boys and girls and teenagers can have eternal life. Before we get to that passage over in John chapter 19, let me give you a couple of two or three others. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness, by his wounds you have been healed. Literally, by his wounds you and I are made whole. So the day and the moment that you and I invited Jesus Christ to come into our lives, you and I were made whole. Now, we're still in that process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. But praise God for his healing. Praise God that he has made us whole. And then the next chapter in 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So yes, Jesus Christ only had to die one time on the cross. That's why we as Protestants, when we see a, a cross, it's, it's always empty. Uh, other religions still have Jesus hanging on the cross. Well, he's no longer there. He's now at the right hand of the Father, and we are grateful for that promise. Then in Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible says, For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, 
He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And i got to tell you, this morning on Palm Sunday, I'm waiting for him. I am waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible promises that, that in our understanding of eschatology, the next great event on the calendar is Christ's returning. I don't think there's anything else that has to happen on the world stage in order for Christ to come back. Here's the question, are you ready for him? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to return? A few minutes ago, I asked you to turn to John chapter 19. And and we're going to look at this passage together. And we're just going to go verse by verse and see what the Holy Spirit has for us this morning. So some selected verses, if you will. Verse 1 and 2, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Pilate actually thought that he could take care of this Jesus problem by severe punishment. Short of execution, mind you, but he needed to satisfy the accusers. The religious crowd had lost their mind. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. Why? Because in their minds, he had blasphemed, saying that he was the Son of God. So what they were going to do is use the occupying force of the Romans who were now in control of Jerusalem and all of Palestine to kill their problem. Yes, Jesus was a problem to the religious folks at that time. But what ensues is a demonic bloodletting by the Roman soldiers. You've got to understand, these, these flogging instruments was a stick that was wrapped in leather with long leather straps that was laced with bits of brass and, and lead and, and bones that were filed to a very sharp point. This was a horrendous torture that no Roman citizen could ever legally be scourged, but only the enemies of Rome. And at this moment, All of the religious crowd, the religious Hebrews, the chief priests, the scribes, and the others had made Jesus Christ an enemy of Rome so that Rome would take him out. Look at verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. You see, Pilate tried to make the point that Jesus was of no threat to Rome and he certainly was not a king. But we know that for the last three and a half years, the scribes, the other religious leaders had been listening to Jesus from afar and some of them were even influenced by his message, but for most of them, they had rejected the good news of the gospel, which was Jesus Christ himself. But then verse 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself out to be the son of God. So the religious leaders now refer back to the accusation of blasphemy. Anyone who said that they were of God or born of God or were God, it was blasphemy in ancient law. But we know now, 2,000 years later, that Jesus did not blaspheme. He truly was the Son of God. Look at verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. You've got to understand that history records that the Jews had already complained to Caesar once about Pilate. Caesar had ordered Pilate to remove some artifacts that the Jews considered idols from Jerusalem. Well, this humiliated Pilate. 
So if the Jews actually went to Caesar again and said that Pilate had refused to execute a man that was trying to take over the Roman kingdom, Pilate might lose his position, but he also could lose his life. So he was in self-preservation mode. So as we understand why Jesus died, we have to understand that there were a lot of players in this cast There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of moving parts around the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. The Bible says that he entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. I think what Pilate was trying to have explained to him is he wants to know if Jesus is a God. But Jesus remained silent, once again confirming the word of God. Isaiah 53 and 7, we touched on this last week. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. I have to be honest with you. If somebody is about to scourge me, if somebody is about to beat the daylights out of me, somebody about to take me to the cross, I'm going to be defending myself, but not Jesus. No, because God's word had prophesied. Isaiah the prophet had said that all these accusations were going to come his way. They, they, they were going to lead him on with questioning, but Jesus would remain there silent before his shears. He would be just like the lamb that when they begin to cut the wool off the back, that he would be quiet. So he opened not his mouth. Verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you'll not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? (laughs) Notice the response of Jesus. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Got to understand today that any authority Pilate has is a delegated authority. Jesus is no longer concerned about the outcome. The future of Jesus does not rest in the hands of Pilate. It ultimately rests in the hands of God. Now, why would you say that, Joel? I thought the Romans killed Jesus. I thought the Jews killed Jesus. I thought they were the ones that were culpable of this murder. Partially, but not all the way. Because it was part of the plan of God. Isaiah 53 and 10 says, Yet it was the will of God to crush him. Will of God to crush whom? To crush Jesus, our Savior. He has put him to grief. You see, God included in his redemptive plan that his son would be rejected and hated and abandoned and betrayed and denied and condemned and flogged and mocked and pierced and then finally killed. Yes, that was part of God's plan. Why Jesus died? It was part of redemption's story that God had prepared and planned long ago. Way before even Adam and Eve. Way even before creation. Way even before the fall. Because God is all-knowing. It's one of his attributes. It's one of the things that makes him God and we are not. I want you to look at Acts chapter 4 with me real quick. We're going to hit the pause button in John 19. 
But in Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, it says, For truly in this city, of course referring to Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God already knew it was going to happen this way. And because Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, he knew it as well. But he willingly left heaven and became a baby in a virgin's womb. Think about that story. And then lived as a carpenter's son. And then he burst onto the scene when John the Baptist was baptizing in John uh, chapter 1 and verse 29. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Only Jesus can take away the sins of the world. Why Jesus died? One of the many answers to that question is simply because he was willing to lay down his life. No one else was. Even these great religious leaders that have led incredible movements throughout history, only Jesus was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Let's go back to our text. John chapter 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, I believe these religious leaders, these Hebrew Jewish leaders, they knew how to play the game. So they start to sort of put the screws to Pilate a little bit, and they start to apply political pressure. It goes on in verse 14. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So now Pilate flips the script on them. He now tells them, I'm going to put pressure on you because if Jesus Christ is going to be crucified, it's going to be a decision of the Jews. It will not be a decision of Rome. Verse 15. So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Notice they didn't say, We have no king but God. But Jehovah, they said, we had no king but Caesar. This is a very hypocritical expression of loyalty to Caesar for the Jewish leaders to call for the death of Jesus. We see a lot of that in the political realm today. Individuals whose allegiance is not to God Almighty, but to Caesar. Rather than the one who is willing to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. Verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. I am not a, a language scholar, but you read enough commentaries and enough books, some of this comes back to you. And so Golgotha is Calvaria in Latin. And from the Latin word is the English word Calvary. And we sing those great songs of the faith at Calvary and other songs that lead us to understand that it was on Calvary's hill that Jesus Christ died on the cross. 
You know, victims in the first century were actually led through the streets as a visual reinforcement of Rome's political and military power to control people. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus on the Via Della Rosa. As he was led with, with the cross on his shoulders and, 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 and blood coming from the crown of thorns that had been placed upon his head and, and the scourgings on his back and that, 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 that cruel Roman cross scrubbing across those open wounds, the pain must have been excruciating, horrendous. But yet our Savior was willing to do that for us. Oh, why did Jesus die? Because of love. Because of love for people like us that sometimes don't love one another and we certainly don't live like we love God. Verse 18. Well, there they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Now, the reason why John goes into great detail with this is that it's yet another fulfillment of Scripture. Once again, Isaiah 53 and verse 12 That he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Of course, it's it's referring to to the thieves that were hung on either side of our Savior. And in the New Living Translation, Isaiah 53 and 12 says that he was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and he interceded for rebels. And you and I both remember this morning... He told one of those thieves on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Based upon the question that he had asked the Messiah, oh, please remember me, please remember me, and Jesus did. I believe one day in heaven we'll get to have a conversation with that thief on the cross. Look at verse 19 and 20. The Bible says, Pilate also wrote an inscription, and he put it on the cross, And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, it was written in Latin, and also written in Greek. But you got to remember, Pilate's sign that he placed at the head of the cross becomes the center of a controversy in Jerusalem. Why? Pilate believes that Jesus is innocent. Yet he gives in to the political pressure. And and that's where you and I have to learn how to stand firm today. On this Palm Sunday 2019, will we not live our lives in such a way that it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter all the, the stress and all the pain and all the agony that's going on in people's lives all around us. No, we will not give in to political pressure like Pilate did over 2,000 years ago. You see, it was a Roman custom to place the offense of the person on top of the cross to announce what that person did to warrant an execution. Pilate, probably even in good conscience at this particular moment, that's why he put king of the Jews. Because he didn't find him guilty. It was the chief priests and the scribes that had found Christ guilty of blasphemy. Look at verse 21. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said that I am the king of the Jews. Notice the answer of Pilate. What I have written, I have written. Yeah, Pilate refused to change the sign. Now this was possibly a way for him to retaliate against the religious leaders for the position that they had put him in. 
Because they had put Pilate in a very awkward position as a prefect over Galilee. But yet, that's where the story finds us. Look at verse 23. So when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from the top to the bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to seize whose it will be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Once again, another fulfillment of eschatological scripture. Letting us know that when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to be crucified, these things would come to pass. Now let's look around the cross. Sometimes we're close to the cross, but we're far from Christ. Who was close to the cross that day? Look at verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. I think all of these ladies were followers of Jesus, and they loved their Lord. I believe that we're living in a day that you and I should fall Back in love with the one who is willing to die for us. I know life is stressful. And I know we're pulled in a thousand and one different directions. But please understand, no, God does have a plan. He has a purpose for that which he desires for us to do. Look back at the text. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He wasn't being belligerent. He wasn't being disrespectful. He then looks at the disciple and says, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I think Jesus fulfilled his duty to his widowed mother. Joseph had long since died. And Jesus places her into the care of the apostle John. John often refers to himself in his writings, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I really believe that they loved one another like brothers. And so when Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to John, he knew that she would be taken care of. Verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Again, another fulfillment. Psalm 69, verse 21. That they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Verse 29 flows into that a jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth now this hyssop branch is very significant because this hyssop branch was a reed-like branch and it was very significant in Jewish culture the hyssop branch was used in the first Passover in the book of Exodus in Egypt to spread the lamb's blood on both the doorpost and the side post so the death angel would pass over. So in this particular seminal moment, the Passover comes to life in the death of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Look at verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. To Tetelestai. To Tetelestai. I read a book a few years ago on this particular subject. And tetelestai is one of those phrases that an artist would use. And after the brush had given its final stroke on the canvas, 
The painter would step back and go, Tetelestai, it is finished. That's what Jesus Christ said on the cross. It is finished. My, my redemptive work is done. I've been willing to live sinless. I've now died with the sins of the world on my back. It is finished. And the Bible says that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. But I believe that there is one way to understand the meaning of the death of Jesus. is to imagine this as a courtroom scene in which we are on trial for our sins and, and God is the judge. And our sins against God are capital crimes. God himself is our judge. And according to divine law, our crimes deserve the death penalty. So by shedding his blood on the cross, Jesus Christ took the punishment that we deserve and has offered us his righteousness. In theological terms, it's called substitutionary atonement. Christ died on the cross as my substitute. Christ died on the cross as your substitute. And without him, we would suffer the death penalty for our own sins. And whether it's a new song written by Chris Tomlin or one of our great forefathers of the Wesley brothers or others, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 continues to come alive. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, became our sin so that all of us who are sinful can become sinless. You know, the Hebrew writer speaks to this as well about the blood. Chapter 9, verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission of sins. So in order for God to forgive our sins, his judgment had to be satisfied. And that required the shedding of blood. So why did Jesus die? To reconcile us to God. Oh, absolutely. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Oh yeah, one time we were enemies against God. When you and I were lost and without Jesus Christ, we were enemies of heaven. But because we have repented of our sins and we have believed in the gospel, we are now a friend of God and no longer an enemy. Why did Jesus die? To take away our condemnation. Oh, I stood condemned. I should be on my way to hell today. But on Palm Sunday 2019, I'm not on my way to hell because of what Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross has done for me. The question is, he's done the same for you. And would you be willing to receive him? Would you be willing to repent of your sins? Would you be willing to believe? Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We've been set free. We have been liberated. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. And to God be the glory for that great truth. Lastly this morning, why did Jesus die? It's very simple. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's what Easter's about. 
It's what Palm Sunday is about. It's what every Sunday is about. Oh, yes, there are special days on the calendar that we set aside and we emphasize certain things. But every day is a day of freedom when you walk in Christ. But I think probably today some of you are here and someone loved you enough to invite you to come. I'm going to ask you today, would you be willing to step out in faith, come and speak to one of our pastors here in just a few moments and say, I want to believe. I need to believe. I feel the Holy Spirit's drawing me to the foot of the cross. I'm tired of being close to religion but far from Jesus. Hey, listen, if, it that, if that's you today, today is the day of salvation. But see, more than likely in a crowd this size that's here today, there are some of you, you're saved, but you've wandered. You've drifted. It's now time to come home. Maybe you are that prodigal son of Luke 15. You're that prodigal daughter. It's time to come home. Quit playing church and start being the church. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for a church family and all of our guests that are here today that would sit through these few moments together as their pastor breaks open the bread of life. And Lord, I know that the very best that I ever am is a beggar telling other beggars where the bread is. And the bread is the bread of life, Jesus. So Father, I pray for those here today. Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit will continue to work and move just as He's done all morning long. And Father, we ask now that salvation would come to your house again rededication would come to this house. And Lord, for others that need to make First Baptist Church Athens home, that they're part of the family, and they want to be part of this local church family. So Father, whatever you want to do now through your Spirit, let it be so. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.